Good morning. Welcome to the Men's Leadership Network. Uh, welcome to all the satellite campuses. Uh, before I introduce our speaker this morning, just a reminder, if you've got questions this morning as we talk about healthy ways to discipline, please feel free to tweet those in, chat those in if you're at the satellite locations, or you can text them as well at the information provided. Uh, our guest this morning has spent a better, the better part of his career focusing on what is possibly the most important human relationship we form while alive. That's the relationship between children and their parents. He's the Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. He's co-written six books, including a best-selling uh, title, Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys. He's a frequent guest on national television and radio and a regular contributor to Parent Life magazine. In addition, he's spoken to thousands of parents, teachers, and leaders across the country at events and conferences such as the Lifeway Kids Conference. So whether you are a parent of a toddler or a 30-year-old, the principles and insights we'll discuss today will leave a positive impression on the way you parent. He's husband to Connie, father to be a beautiful daughter, Lily, and has twin sons, Baker and Witt. Please join me in welcoming David Thomas. Awesome. Wow. Thanks so much for being here. Really Thank appreciate you for it. having me. Great. Tell us just a little bit, a little overview. We heard some, but about your yourself, your family, your career. I am, I, I would always want to say I'm first uh, a husband and a father. And as was shared, I have three children. My oldest is a girl. And then we were about a year and a few months into her life and got pregnant for a second time. And had really an identical pregnancy. Nothing was different. We went midway for our ultrasound and said to the ultrasound tech, we're kind of old school. Even though we have all this modern technology, we didn't know my daughter was a girl till the day she was born, so please make a note, but don't tell us. And she agreed and was scanning my wife's belly and looked up with this huge grin and said, I see two heads. And I remember thinking, why are you smiling if the baby has two heads? Like, nothing <laughs> about that sounds good to me. And I, I'm serious in that I, we were that shocked. Like, no history of multiples in our family. My wife hadn't had you know, higher counts or gain more weight, the indicators that you're usually carrying multiples. So that was shocking news I said to the tech at that point. Well, go ahead and tell us what we're having. We're so behind at this point. Just let us know. So she said two boys. So we're, we're still recovering from that news 13 years later. Wow. But I have these two great sons, and, and all three of my kids, I would say, are outstanding teachers. I'm mm -hmm. thankful for my undergrad and graduate training, but I, I would say I'm learning on the job. Way more than I learned in, in that period of time, but grateful not only for them, but the chance just to get to work with a lot of kids and families who have been great teachers as well. And I'm going into my 19th year with Daystar, and we work with children, adolescents, and families, and do that through individual counseling, through group counseling, and then we run a summer camp where we do a lot of really neat work with parents, with kids, excuse me, and then we travel around the country and just do the, what we call kind of parent education piece, where we just talk with parents about what does it look like to lean in more to understanding our kids' development and this really unique things God is doing in different moments of their life mm. that they need certain things from us. So grateful when I have that opportunity to interact with parents in that way. Well, and I love what you do. And, you know, you mentioned you have a high schooler and you have middle school, so you've kind of got uh, both areas covered. Uh, but your wisdom is incredible. I mean, just your um, parenting, the books you've written. And so tell us what you've seen, David, over the years about where families tend to succeed and then also where families tend to struggle. I mean, just kind of an overview of what you've seen out there. Sure. I would say 
I think there's a lot that's the same. And then I would say over almost 20 years of doing this, there are certainly things that have changed mm -hmm. as well. And I think I see a lot of families succeed who really prioritize relationship and connection. And, and I think that sounds so simple, but I think in this day and age with as many opportunities as exist in front of us as families and certainly in front of our kids, being able to just come together and sit around a table is one of the greater challenges for so many families where it's really just about connection and relationship. And I think, talk a lot with dads in particular about, I think we have a tendency toward coaching and instruction. And sometimes we can get so stuck in that role that all I'm really doing is coaching, instructing, and teaching with kids and not just connecting and relating and engaging with them. And, and that is not in any way saying, go out and be more of a buddy with your kids, like be their pal, be their friend, because our kids need us to be parents. They need the grown-ups to be grown-ups, but they need me to stop off in different moments and just prioritize connection and relationship where I don't have an agenda. I'm not teaching in this moment. I'm not coaching, but we're just connecting. And so I think I see a lot of families succeed who figure out what that looks like for them and prioritize that. And I think I see a lot of families struggle. One of the places I would say I talk a lot with parents who struggle in a way of what I call parenting out of emotion more than parenting with emotion. And I think... Unpack that. Yeah. yeah. I would love to hear more. I think what, what that means is I think we are emotional creatures. We as men are emotional creatures. And so Jesus was a man full of emotion. We've evidence of that all throughout Scripture, where mm -hmm. he felt sadness, where he felt anger, when he flipped the tables in the temple, where he yeah. felt alone, different things. And I think we're made in the image of God. We are emotional creatures as well. But if we don't know what to do with that, I think we can end up parenting or disciplining our kids just out of a place of emotion. And if I'm disciplining out of anger, then I am missing the point of what discipline is supposed to be about. Discipline is supposed to be about teaching, and it's about opportunities for kids to make connections. And so if I'm just parenting out of anger, I'm not parenting out of my most thoughtful place. And so I see a lot of parents who haven't done the work they need to do as individuals to deal with their own journey, their own story, their own emotion to the place where they can parent with emotion, but not out of that, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a ton of sense, because I think dis not disciplining out of anger is such a struggle for us. I mean, honestly, you know, kids do something, you get frustrated, and your immediate response is, you know, I, I got to teach, I got to, you know, change this situation. How do we not discipline out of anger? How, how, what are some healthy steps, I guess, to help us not do that? We have a section in one of our books, the Intentional Parenting book, that yeah. talks about the, the subtitle of this section is timeouts are not just for toddlers. And it's this reality of we all need moments where we can step away and kind of collect ourselves. And I think it's so useful, talk about parenting with emotion, to look our kids in the eyes and just say, it's not hurtful, it's actually helpful to look them in the eyes and just say, I feel really angry right now. Mm. I feel frustrated about what's going on and I need to take some time, you need to go to your room, and I'm going to go to mine. And then we will come back and talk in a few minutes. But giving ourselves some space, some time and some space to work that through so that I can come back and parent, discipline, connect with my children out of a more thoughtful, rational place. I tend to say that I think parenting out of emotion is a lot like what happens when I go to the grocery store on an empty stomach. Like, I come back. I did it one night, and my wife was like, there are five pints of Ben and Jerry's in this bag. Like, what were you thinking? And the reality is I wasn't thinking. I wasn't in the thoughtful place. I'm just 
hungry and I'm throwing stuff in the cart. And so it's, it's kind of that same philosophy. So what do I need to do to be in a place where I can discipline from a more thoughtful, rational, loving place and make it about the connections? That's so good. Tell, how does that discipline um, evolve? You know, because you, it's one thing when you have you know, preschoolers and then you have elementary and then you get into middle school, high school, and, and you're seeing this in your own personal life, but even more with all the people you talk to. How, what's a healthy way for that discipline to evolve? Two, two thoughts there. I would say we, we really always want discipline from very young children all the way to adolescence to be a vehicle for helping them learn to regulate themselves. Mm. And so when you're thinking about forms of discipline, you know, I'm often asked about spanking, I'm often asked about real specific ways, and you're thinking, you know, a great question to ask is, does that help in some way my child learn to regulate themselves? Because if I'm the one doing all the regulating for them, things are going to be real scary when I send them away to college, if they've never developed some of those skills. So. Want, I want to challenge parents always to be thinking about that. And then I think secondarily, figuring out what's enforceable. Because a lot of times I think we're guilty of giving out consequences we can't follow through with or don't have an intention to. Maybe they're just empty threats. But to think about what's enforceable. I was talking with some parents yesterday of a adolescent uh, young man. He's 13, and his mom and dad understandably sort of distraught because he's kind of fascinated with this girl and has made a declaration that he now has a girlfriend and they're like he's not ready to date and he's not in my mind developmentally at that point but rather than saying you cannot have a girlfriend because we really can't enforce that he could go to school and say you're my girlfriend and I'm your boyfriend saying you know you can't date at this age because that's enforceable because he can't drive a car so he really can't get to the movies with this girl so it's the adjustment of of saying that it's understandable that at this age you once thought girls were really yucky, and now you're very curious about them. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. I hope you're developing deeper friendships with guys and girls at this point, but we're not going to start dating at this point. And so thinking about what's enforceable, what's not. And mm-hmm. so, again, applying that with toddlers, elementary age kids, and adolescents, figuring out what that looks like in those seasons. I love you. Love the way you say that because what's enforceable, because... So many times, I mean, we'll be like, okay, when I get to three, we're going to, you know, do one, two, two and a half, you know, two or three quarters, and, and, you know, we never get there. Sure. And I think what's enforceable, what are we trying to do, how are we trying to help them grow in that process uh, is so powerful. It is, and so important. I mean, if we think about that category of helping them regulate, like, if that's my long goal of more and more helping them figure out what it means to regulate themselves in moments when they feel a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. when they're kind of out of control, whatever it may be. That's so vital. I think yeah. that's just so important. Now, do you think kids, I mean, today face greater challenges than what, like, even we grew up in? I mean, what are you seeing out there, some of the things that they're dealing with that we just never dealt with? I absolutely do. And, it, and it's where I don't think it's a very useful way to start a sentence with, you know, some version of, I was a teenager too at one point, or... Yeah you know, whatever it may be, because it is a different day and time. And certainly some things are the same, but I think technology in itself, you know, that we talk all day around that category, but that's a great example of where our kids have access to things we never had access to and the overwhelmingness of that. Um, I think that's it. But I think, too, the pressure and the expectation, I mean, think about that age-old saying of kindergarten is the new first grade. If we go back and study curriculum 50 years ago, It's the absolute truth. I mean, we really are doing first grade level work with kids when they start work. 
compared to what it looked like decades ago. And so the pressure academically, the pressure athletically, you know, I think we as adults have kind of hijacked youth sports and turned it into this phenomena. It is no longer just about having fun, being active, and learning skills. It is about fierce, intense competition. I was driving through town the other day, and there was a league advertising with a little stand in the ground, and it said, flag football for kids from 3 to 14. And I was thinking, three years of age, like, you can no more master the skills of flag football at this point, nor should you be. But yeah. I think it's this thing of where we've just ramped everything down. And what would be wrong with just a dad throwing a ball, throwing a football in the front yard with a three-year-old and having fun or having a group of kids over and playing together? And so I think that pressure, it's a part of why I believe it helps us understand why anxiety is now considered a childhood epidemic in our country. Wow. Which is overwhelming to me and grieves me, you know, to think that we are seeing the highest numbers we've ever seen of children and adolescents. And I'm seeing younger and younger kids. That's certainly something that's changed over the years, too. Like, I just, I think, I don't remember seeing six- and seven-year-olds who were struggling with debilitating anxiety when I started my work. And so, I think, again, because we've ramped up so many things, the numbers are going down in terms of where kids start experience so much earlier and earlier. How do we, as dads, or granddads are just in our lives or even uncles how do we how do we help take some of that pressure off of them you know what i'm saying yes i think it starts really with us i always think it starts with us mm -hmm. you know of, of if i'm saying things like we need to you know we need to be more about rest we need to be more about balance we need to be more about a lot of things i've got to really pay attention to is that happening in my own life mm -hmm. because the research would continue to tell us time and time again that kids learn more through observation than they do through information. So I can talk at things all day long, but if there's not congruence with the way I'm living, that's very confusing for a child who's absorbing a lot. So I think it starts with us, and then I think it spills down, and I think that looks different for every family. And I know I've challenged families with a question, just what would it look like for you all to have more balance in your life? If that feels like too much pressure, what kind of adjustments would you want to make? And I love hearing parents come back and say a thousand different things. I'm working with a family right now who said, you know, we've decided as a family, no travel sports. You can do rec sports or school sports, but we're not gonna we're not gonna be in a different city and a different hotel on the weekends. And another family saying, we're not going on a beach trip for spring break. We're gonna do mission and outreach in that time. Because mm -hmm. if we're if we're saying that's what we want to be about as a family, then I want the way we even vacation to be a reflection of that. So making adjustments in different categories, I love hearing families talk about being creative in those ways. But again, I think it's gotta start with what are we doing? I love that because what I'm hearing you say is families being proactive, you know, versus reactive. And I feel like, you know, there's so much demand on us, even as dads, and the work and the pressure and everything. And then we almost get reactive when it comes to our families versus sitting down with our spouse or just praying and saying, okay, how can I be proactive and what can yes. we develop in our family? So I love that. Talk to me about the technology side. I mean, you, you see this all the time. How can we help our kids uh, have a healthy balance even in technology? I think even there it starts with with modeling and um, you know I think for me I, I am at this point I wrote a little bit about it in the intentional parenting book I'm, I'm off social media for me and I'm not in any way please hear me say I'm not in any way saying it's a bad thing or that it's not even useful because mm -hmm. we have sure seen evidence of where it can be used but I think 
knowing yourself, like knowing what works for you. And I know for me, I laugh with some colleagues and say, I do a lousy enough job of saying a lot of things I think that don't need to be said aloud. So I don't need any help doing that. Like I really don't need any more tools to help me do that. So I think for me, and then I think too, uh, I just know myself well enough to, to know I can get really lost in mm. comparison. And so that's just, again, a decision I made for me in this season. And so figuring out what that looks like for you. And again, what I want to model for kids, even if it's just a sense of we're not, you guys are on your phones too much. But if I've got mine parked next to me when I'm at the table, you know, very confusing messages being sent there. But I think, too, really studying, I talked a moment ago about just studying development, which I really believe is a study of creation, just mm-hmm. the unique way that God made these little beings and that he intended for certain things to happen in certain seasons. And if we really study development, one of the things we know for our teenage kids, for our pre-adolescent adolescent kids, is they will pass through this stretch of development that involves two things. We know there's a developmental psychologist years and years ago who defined these two phenomena that happen for every kid, every adolescent. One's called the personal fable. It's this idea that I'm the only person in the world who's experienced this. No one else knows how lousy it feels to be cut from a team or not get asked to the school dance, whatever it may be. And the other is this phenomena called the imaginary audience. And it's this concept, this idea that everyone around me is critiquing me observing me, commenting on me. That's developmentally going on with every adolescent. And so think about what social media could do to that phenomenon. It's like pouring gas over an open fire. Like now you don't have to just wonder if people are talking about your comedy. You can jump online and figure out how many likes you have or what kind of comments people are making through this particular app. And so it's a part of where, as parents, again, we've got to be proactive and get in front of those things and Mm. decide... Knowing my son, knowing my daughter, this is how much he or she can handle of this, and this at times we've got to be off altogether because to leave them alone for a long stretch of time with that kind of thing, it just feeds that. Mm-hmm. And developmentally, that's already going on. Wow. So that's but one example. No, that's it's huge. I mean, it really is. And just knowing your, your kids, knowing your family, what you can handle, what they can handle, and I think it comes back to those relationships that you talked about even early on in the beginning. David, I... I so respect you. I mean, I really do, and I love what you do. And, you know, obviously we have a lot of people in our church who, who, who come and you've helped them in so many ways. What, what is the biggest difference that you see Christ makes in the home and with the family? First off, I want to say thank you for saying that, and I great respect for you and love for this church. That's um, something I would not want to miss an opportunity to say. And, and just grateful to get to sit down and have a conversation with you today about this. And, and I think... And when I think about what that looks like, I think um, for me, I love the words of Micah 6, 8. And I think, um, what does it look like for me to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly? Like, what does that look like for me? And how could I live the truth of that out in, in front of my children? And that that's where it starts. I, I, did, a, I did a radio interview uh, several months ago, and one of the questions that came in is a dad of a teenage boy saying, my son won't pray, refuses to pray, how can I make him? And, and I read that question and had a lot of thoughts, and I thought, you know, you can't make him. Kind of going back to that enforceable thing, but you can pray in front of him, you know. You can't make him walk humbly. 
but you can walk humbly in front of him. You can't make him act justly, but you can do that in front of him. And so I think in terms of bringing Christ into our homes more, I think that's really where it starts. I think that's what it's about more than anything. That's so powerful, right? Yeah, it starts with us. It, as you've seen, you've seen hundreds, if not thousands of kids and families uh, over the years. What do you wish every parent knew? I wish every parent knew, and I'm saying this out loud to remind myself too, that unity creates security. Unity creates security. And, and I think whether that is mm. between married parents or divorced parents, I work with a lot of single parents, and, and I have seen a lot of divorced families do an outstanding job with still having unity in their co-parenting and how important it is. I think that kids bump up against that sameness. And I think there are certain profile kids that even need that more. And, and, and I want to be so careful and clear in saying also, like, we are going to disagree in marriage just out of the fact that we're men and women, two very different creatures. We're just going to see things differently, respond differently, but really going back to this place of how can I disagree with respect? How can my wife and I have conversations behind closed doors and then come out and offer a sense of unity to my kids? And I go back to, I tell a story on myself of years ago when my kids were much younger. My wife and I were having a conversation in the kitchen uh, at dinner. I had gotten up and it was kind of clear on the table and we were disagreeing about something. And we weren't yelling, but we were having kind of a heated discussion. I was like, honey, I can't even remember what came next. And midway through this exchange, one of my boys, who was six at the time, got up from the table, and he walked all the way around the table, didn't say a word, walked over to my wife and just hugged her, wrapped his arms around her leg, and then he went back over and just sat down. And I remember watching that, and it just, it's like someone had socked me in the gut. I mean, and it was this visual, this really great reminder of, my kids are just absorbing everything going on. And, and in that moment, I think it felt like I was yelling at his mother, who he loves with all of his heart, and I want him to. And I remember being so grateful for that later thing. God, thank you for the reminder of, um, I want so much for my kids to see me. Loving my wife, supporting her, respecting her, even when I disagree and that they're absorbing everything, and some kids absorb that reverberates inside them even more. And so I think the more we're on the same page, even disagreeing with respect, it offers such security for kids, and I see evidence of that where it's not happening in a household with married, married parents or when there's two different homes, and I think it just feels like I challenged a parent on that. A few weeks back, I just said, guys, visually, I had this picture of your son and your you're using him for tug-of-war, like one of you's pulling one arm and one's pulling the other. And I think it's just kind of wrecking him emotionally because I think the opposite is true. I think not only does unity provide security, but the lack of it just creates emotional insecurity in kids. And so I want to remind myself of that, and I really want to remind parents of that too. And figuring out what do we need to do to offer more unity to our kids. That might mean we need to do some marital work. That might mean we need to call Jeff and come sit down with him and talk a little bit more about what that would look like. I think you're hitting into that kind of next thought that I have is how can we as dads, uh, you know, raise up spiritual leaders? How can we instill confidence into our kids? I mean, you, I go back to what you were saying earlier about so much anxiety that our kids are experiencing today more than ever before and so much harder to be a kid today. How can we as dads 
help empower confidence in them. I think, going back to that last statement, I think we can love their mothers. Mm. I, don't, I don't think I could give enough credit to that. And I would say that exact same thing to a divorced man. Respect, honor his mother. No matter what your history, your relationship. If you're a married man, no matter what your frustrations or um, difficulties may be, respect your child's mother. Your daughter desperately needs to see that. Because, again, it's that thing we all know but need to be reminded of. That is form. That is helping her form ideas about how men and women react to each other and how a man celebrates, honors, cherishes, respects a woman. And mm-hmm. so I think that is where leadership's got to start. Love her like Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for her. Respect her regardless of the differences. And I think that's an example of just kids don't instinctively know what it looks like to disagree with respect. That's something we have to model and live out in front of them. And that's what... Humility and leadership can look like. So, love their mother. Yes. And yeah. Unity provides security. That's huge. So, uh, I mean, I just think that resonates. What, what are some other things, whether it's daughters or sons, that we can proactively instill in them? Like, I think, too, I love the idea of taking your kids out after they've lost a game or a competition that I think really drives home that message that I believe every parent wants to send to their child of you are loved mm. regardless, not about your performance. And, and I think I like the idea of don't just go out and get pizza after a big victory. You know, go out after they lose. Just sit with them. Have ice cream after a really hard, disappointing loss. Take your daughter out if she gets passed up and not asked to the homecoming dance, you know, and, and just live out that sense of you are loved. There's not a thing you could do. It's not about your performance. I think modeling the gospel with our kids in that way and that they experience that. Because I think to the degree that we are only, it's what we know, again, just a reminder, we're only going out to celebrate after victories. It does enforce that sense of, on some level, it's about performance for me. Same thing on grades, too. Absolutely. You, say? you had a tough report card. You spend a few minutes that time talking about what do you want to do different, but spending time just talking about other things besides grades after a tough report card. Yes, I love that. How do you balance that? How do you balance, I mean, because as dads, we're always wanting our kids to be the best. We're wanting to drive them to reach their full potential. Uh, Yet, how do you balance that or temper that with, I'm developing character as well? Can you talk to that? Yes. I have a, a, a kid I worked with years ago who said to me at one point in our conversation, he had stopped playing horse, the game of horse, outside with his dad because every game of horse kind of turned into supplemental coaching in mm. some way. Those are my words, not his, but it's just a sense of it's just hard for my dad to play. It kind of takes the fun out of it, so I really don't want to do that so much anymore. And so watching, again, kind of going back to that earlier part of our conversation about where's there just connection and engagement. All I'm doing is retrieving the ball. I'm not giving you pointers on your shot in this moment. Looking for that, I think, is such an important piece. And then I think, too, I love uh, talking with parents about what it looks like to support our kids through questions. And by that meaning, you know, rather than just giving input, ask really supportive questions. Like if a kid brings home a, a not-so-great report card, you know, to say, how, are, how do you feel about that? Rather than jumping straight into you're a smart kid. You're capable of more than this. Look at these comments on the back that your teacher said you're not given 100%, those kinds of things. But 
What do you want to do with that? I think it's fantastic to hear a kid say, I'm not okay with that C, like, and here's what I think I did. But again, it's about them making those connections rather than us making them for them. What do you want to do with that betrayal? What do you want to do with that difficult situation? I just think those are, I ask kids sometimes, like, what's your game plan? What's your strategy? And, and I think the other part of that that I love so much is it assumes, it sends a really strong message, I believe, to kids that we want to send of, you are a smart, resourceful kid. God gave you a great brain. I'm excited to hear your ideas. So I think that's a really important place to camp out at times too. Support through questions. The power of words too. The way you said that, I mean, that's just like, yeah, that's encouraging, you know? And, and, and I think that for all of us as parents, our parenting style changes, right? As our kids are moving from dependence to independence and, and how do we help them make that transition in a healthy way? Uh, I, I, think, I think you nailed that. Mm. David, you... Man, I, I love your heart for the Lord, and I love your heart for kids and families. What do you want your legacy to be? I would say I want, I hope, my legacy is in the vicinity of Micah 6-8. I really mm. do. I think I, I would only hope my kids could find some evidence of saying, I feel like my dad was a man who loved mercy and walked humbly and justly. I think that to me is what it's about. And again, kind of my grid for a lot of moments of life, asking those questions. Mm. I think that's an important one for me. That's huge. Give us a couple of takeaways. Like, you know, all of us here, we're, you know, trying to be all that God desires and, and uh, reach our full potential and praise God for the grace in Christ. And uh, give us a couple of takeaways as mm. spiritual leaders that God's called us to be. I would, I would say years ago I heard my boss, our executive director, Melissa, who started Daystar. She said many wise things over the years mm-hmm. that I have absorbed. And I heard her speak to a group of parents and say, I wonder what it would look like for us to change the phrasing of feeling an obligation to be Jesus in front of our children and just be people who need Jesus. And, and how much pressure I feel like that can take off a person. And just adjusting that language ever so slightly that um, I just want to, in front of my kids, be a person who needs Jesus and figuring out what does that look like? You know, how could I live the truth of that out? And so I think that, and then I think also for me, I, I just am in a season right now where I'm wanting to pay greater and greater attention to my posture than my position. And I have a quote in my office, um, and I'm still not 100% sure who gets the credit for this because I've heard several sources, but quotation that says, you can practice being right or you can practice being kind. Wow. I think for me, you know, uh, my personality is such that I can really like to be right sometimes, but I wonder if that doesn't trump my ability to love mercy and walk humbly sometimes. And so I really like the idea of, challenging parents to think about what that might look like. And again, maybe that's in a conversation with my wife. Like, do I have to have the last word? Do I have to always be right? No. What does it look like that I would, above that, just practice kindness with her? Hearing her would become the end game for me, not being heard, not Mm. having the last word, but letting her speak and be heard. And the same with my kids, you know, thinking about what that could look like in a lot of different ways. Man, I love that. I love that. All right, we've got time for a couple of questions. Are you okay for questions? You're good. Awesome. Thomas? Okay, here we go. Question one. This is men's leadership. 
but there are moms watching at home or maybe some moms that will tune in later this week. Can you speak to the importance of being on the same page as parents in regards to discipline? Mm. I think that goes back to our conversation about unity, and I, I couldn't stress that enough. Mm. And again, the acknowledgement of we're going to disagree, but do that behind closed doors. And I'm, I would even say maybe do that behind two sets of closed doors because kids might be listening at the first. But say, you know what? Mom and I need some time to talk. And I think it's a little bit like if you think about the game of football and we huddle before we execute a play and think, all right, what's going to work now? And kind of that, that practice within our homes. We're going to take some time and get back to you. And that get back to you time, I think we feel this urgency like I need to give you a consequence right now and you don't. That get back to you time can be really valuable time for kids to be thinking on their own and making those connections. I, I tend to say it's a little bit like if you ever, as an elementary age child, had to sit outside your principal's office in that chair and wait your turn. And there's a lot of good movement that can happen in that moment. And so it's fine for kids to wait. and gives you all a chance to disagree and say, all right, you know what? I don't see it that way. I think this is a bigger deal. I don't think this is as big a deal. And let's come to a place of compromise and figure out what we want to go out and say together. And I don't think we can say too much the phrasing of, Mom and I talked. Dad and I have discussed this. Again, even in divorce situations, the kids would know. My parents still talk and they communicate. That's an important piece. We've discussed this and here's what we've decided. We don't ever want to be saying, um, want to be real careful of agreeing with our kids when they'll say things like, you know, Mom makes me so frustrated when she, yeah, she makes me frustrated with that too. That's not helpful for kids to hear that. Nothing about that statement is useful. If that's true for you and you are frustrated by some of the same things, take that up with your wife in a conversation with her. Don't have that conversation with your child because it just diminishes their sense of power and I think elevates kids to a place that triggers even more that insecurity. Wow, that's so good because I think when it comes to discipline, so many times we want to handle it right there. You know, we're just like, just want to jump in, taking the time and being on the same page. And sometimes that that time's healthy. I mean, I love that illustration of sitting outside the principal's office because you're like, you're thinking about it, you know, it could be going on for a while. That's that's a great insight. Thank you. Sure. So you got another question? Yeah, let's go. Uh, How do you recover from a parenting or disciplining fail? How do you recover from a long stretch of major parenting fails? One of the things we talk about in the Intentional Parenting book that I believe in so much is just the idea of it's never too late. I don't think it is ever too late to go back to your kids and apologize, and I think they desperately need us to. I'm sorry. You know what? I didn't think that through when I said you're grounded for life. I didn't think that through. You're not grounded for life. Or, you know, I blew it. I just unleashed on you, and that was so unfair. I was feeling a lot of emotion, and I should have taken a time out for myself, and I didn't. And I think, per the question, if that kind of response or behavior stacks up over a long period of time, I would still say it's not too late. And my colleague, Sissy, tells an amazing story in the book, and and sometimes when we'll speak about having a conversation with uh, parents of one of her closest friends going up, and this man is in his 70s and wrote letters to his daughters who are in their 40s and their 50s to say, here's some things I want to apologize for and I would love to come and sit with you and ask forgiveness. And I think there's a, there's a reminder. Wow. This man's in the last seasons of his life and sitting with his daughters who are adult women and parents themselves. So it is never too late to have that kind of conversation. Here's some things I wish that I had done differently. This is what I meant to say but did not in that moment. Wow. 
That's so good. Mm-hmm. No regrets, right? Mm-hmm. We live our life and not have regrets in our 70s or 80s that yes. we just, you know, we're not perfect. All of us, we're going to make mistakes, but just to own up to that and be Absolutely. honest. Absolutely. I don't know. You got one more? Or? Yeah. Uh, this is a good one, uh, especially for David. How do you know when your kid or family needs counseling? Something uh, beyond what a church or books or resources can provide. One of the things that we do both with parents locally and then we do long distance by phone is something we call parent consultation. So it's if they're here in, in Nashville, parents come in and it's a little bit like a well visit. You know, no one's in crisis. The house is not on fire. Um, but we've got some questions and here are maybe some concerns and we're wondering if our child might need counseling. Uh, wondering what our family may need, and, and we love doing that work. It feels so proactive. And so I think that's a great place to start. If, if that question is one that has continued maybe for some time, come in and just table some things. And oftentimes that consultation may just lead to, let's create a to-do list of just some things that I think could be helpful. Test drive that, and then we'll see how it goes. If, if that's not enough, maybe we do need to bring kids in. But I think that's a great place to start, consultation with a pediatrician, parent consultation with a place like Daystar, the kind of thing that we do, sitting with somebody who's got a background in child development and asking that question. So that's a great place to start. I really do. Love it. Love it. David, thank you. Man, can I pray for us right now? Please. Oh, let's pray together. Father, thanks for today. God, just challenging us to be the parents that you've called and created us to be. Father, to be the dads. God, I thank you for every man in this room, every man watching at the satellite campuses, every man watching online right now and who will watch this podcast, God. I pray that, Father, we would be men after your heart. And just as David has challenged us today, Father, that we start with our need for you, Jesus, and that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and fill us. God, I pray for strong marriages. God, I pray for us to be humble and, and, Father, not always have to be right. And, God, that we would love our spouse well and then that we would know how to to love our kids and to raise up kids who love you. And Father, I pray that we would know how to discipline in a godly way. You're a heavenly father, Father, and you you discipline us. And so I pray that, Lord, that we would know that, that we should never discipline out of anger, but always out of love. And how can we do that well? And so, God, we need you every day. God, we need you. Thank you for David. I pray a blessing on him. I pray a blessing on Daystar and just the work that they're doing, God, to impact so many children and parents and families, Father, in our own community. Bless them, God, and thanks for our time today. And God, may we be men after your heart. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, great. Well, our our resource uh, for this week is Intentional Parenting. So this is the book. This is the book that uh, David has co-written. And uh, it's going to expand on a lot of the topics we talked about today. I just want to read one little bit uh, from the back here. Intentional Parenting is built around 12 chapters that each dispel some of the most common parenting myths. It also reminds all parents of truths that can empower them not only to be the parents that their children need without feeling guilty, but also the individuals that God has called them to be. So this is your resource. We're going to give this book away in just a second. Also, we've got uh, other other books by David at the exit here, uh, as well as when, when we send out the Rewind email this week, we'll have a link so that if you want to go online, and, and find some of these publications, you can, you can do so. So we'll give this away in a second. I want to encourage everybody to be here next week. We're going to have Jimmy Gentry. A lot of you know Jimmy Gentry from the family farm, Gentry's Farm. Uh, but Jimmy is also a World War II veteran uh, and has spoken to many, many men and organizations about the power and the importance of legacy. So we're going to be talking about legacy next week. So please join us next week. Breakfast will start at 630. We'll get going at 7 o'clock. Thanks for being here.